So as we come to look at that wonderful passage, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, you say, ask, seek and knock. I pray that um, you will help us as we look at this passage to see what you're saying to us. May you touch my heart and my mouth as I speak, that the words may be of you. And as all of us listen to what you have to say, may you help us to not only listen, but respond in heart, mind, body and soul. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a few um, weeks ago, we sent out a questionnaire that many of you, thankfully, um, filled in, and that was really helpful. And one of the questions on the questionnaire was, if you could ask God one thing at this time, during this period of coronavirus, what would it be? And there are a whole host of different um, questions, um, and they're quite interesting to look at. But a few people asked something along the lines of, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And I guess that question comes about because our worlds have been turned upside down. So the things that we normally do, the, the normal patterns of action we take, um, often a pattern we think is serving God, um, suddenly that's stripped away. We can't do the normal things. Um, the normal roles and normal church roles, the normal roles of helping people are not always available. And we think, well, I've got this time now. What can I do, God? What do you want me to do? Or maybe people are thinking, well, we're in this new situation. What new ways does God want me to respond to that? Or maybe some people are feeling guilty. They shouldn't be feeling guilty, but they are because they want to carry on doing things for God. But because of their health or age or whatever reasons, they're having to stay at home and they can't do the things for God that they normally do. And they feel guilty that they're not doing stuff for God. And in many ways, this is a good question. What does God want me to do? But actually, it's not the question that the Bible really wants us to start with. There's a more fundamental question that, that Jesus wants us to ask first and wants us to get to grips with. And we get this question right. If we learn the answers of this question, then what we do for God in whatever situation will become more obvious, more natural. And the question I think that God really wants us to be asking is what kind of person does God want me to be? What kind of person does God want me to be? And this year, over several months at different times, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first major section of teaching in Matthew's Gospel. And it's teaching for his disciples, it's teaching for those following him. And actually, what he's teaching us is not so much what we should do, but what kind of person God wants us to be. And over these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the very last part of that sermon. But as we come to do that, um, and to help us um, see that God wants us to think about what kind of person God wants us to be, just in two minutes or three minutes, I'm going to try and give you a complete picture of the whole sermon. So here we go. It's on the screen. The words may be a bit small, some of them, but hopefully you can follow it. Um, uh, First of all, Jesus starts with the big vision. And the big vision is this, what kind of person flourishes? Uh, and we've got what's called the Beatitudes there. It says, blessed are the meek. So he's saying, look, meek people will flourish in God's kingdom. And he says um, that those who are merciful will flourish in God's kingdom. Those that are, are 
peacekeepers or peacemakers will flourish in God's kingdom. He's saying these are the kinds of people that will flourish, that will be blessed in God's kingdom, that will become the light of the world that God wants us to be. That's Jesus' big vision for the kind of people he wants us to be. And then the main section of the sermon from verse 17 onwards, um, to chapter 7, verse 12, is one big section that's really concerns with what kind of people God wants us to be. Uh, and it starts off in the introduction, um, in verses 17 to 20, talking about saying, Jesus saying, this is what the law, is what the, the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible is all about. It wants to teach you what kind of person to be. And right at the end of the section, in chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus gives us a statement which, which sums up the law and the prophets. And, and this whole section is really split into three sections. And each of those three sections is split into three subsections. I won't go into all the details. But in the first main section, verses 21 to 48 of chapter 5, Jesus is teaching us the kind of people who truly follow the law. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, he's talking about the kind of people who seek God's rewards rather than human praise. And in chapter 6, verse 19 to chapter 7, verse 6, he's talking about the kind of people who are seeking God's kingdom, not human concerns. And then in the section we're looking at today, he concludes this whole middle section about what kind of people God wants us to be with, with a summary of what that's about. We'll look at that in a moment. And then he finishes um, in verses 13 to 27 with the big choice. Which way will you go? Will you choose to be the kind of flourishing person God wants you to be? Will you follow Jesus? Or will you ignore his words and go the other way? And we'll be looking at that section over the next two weeks. But as we ask this question, what kind of person does God want us to be? I think in the, in the, in the conclusion, Jesus sums it up with two basic ideas. First of all, he wants us to be people who seek good things from our Heavenly Father. And secondly, he wants us to be people who love others as ourselves. It's about the kind of people that relate to God in a certain way and to other people in a certain way. So let's look at that first section. And it's about those who seek good things from their heavenly Father. In other words, those who pray, those who depend on God. And actually, prayer is fundamental and core and central to the Sermon on the Mount. If you were following that um, structure I looked at just now, in the middle section, there's three subsections. And in the middle of those three subsections is a section on prayer. And in the middle of that section on prayer is the prayer Jesus teaches us, the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is central to the whole Sermon on the Mount. And as we come to the conclusion, as Jesus wants to, to wake us up, maybe, maybe people have fallen asleep at this point in the sermon, and they're getting a bit bored of it now, uh, so Jesus wants to wake us up. And, and so he says, very ex exaggeratedly, you need to be people who pray. I mean, look what he says here. You see, in Hebrew literature, you, you often have poetry, and, and the poetry will often have one line and it says one thing, and then the second line will repeat it and say it in the same way. You have a, a parallelism, two lines saying the same thing. But Jesus here is saying the same thing three times. He says, ask, 
seek, knock. What does he mean by that? Well, they're all the same thing. They all mean pray. They all mean come to God as your heavenly Father and, and seek things from him, ask things from him, knock on his door, demand his response. Uh, so Jesus is saying three times in a row the same thing, pray. And not only does he do that in verse 7, but in verse 8, he does it again. You see what Jesus is trying to say here? I mean, these words are, for many of us, very familiar words. They're words that we may know really well because we've sung the song we sang at the beginning of the service or whatever. But, but Jesus is saying, look, I'm coming to the end of my sermon now. Wake up. What kind of people do you need to be? You need to be people that come to God in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Because your heavenly Father is a God who longs to give to you good things. And if you're not people that come to depend on him, if you're not that kind of person, the kind of person that is first and foremost someone who trusts in God for the good things of life, then you're not truly my disciple. Ask, seek, knock. And these are words that in the original language mean keep doing these things. It's not just a one-off thing, it's a keep doing. Keep trusting God. Keep praying. Keep depending on him. And as we saw in the children's talk earlier on, he is God our Father. Apparently, parents in this country, um, on average, spend over £230,000 on raising a child from the age of 0 to 21. Now, I'm confident, actually, as a parent, I don't spend that much on each of my children because I've clearly not earned that much in that time. But that's apparently the average. And it shows us, doesn't it, that, um, that the norm is for people to actually give generously for the sake of their children. You could buy a house instead of having a child. But most people choose to have children. And most people choose to be generous in giving to their children. And Jesus says, look, as human beings, you are sinners, you are, you are evil, you're not perfect. And yet you know to do that. How much more will God, your perfect heavenly Father, give to you generously the good things that he wants to give to you? And if you've really grasped who God is as the Father in heaven, if you really grasp what Jesus is about, then you'll want to depend on him. You'll want to come to him and ask him for those good things that he longs to give to you. And so the question is, what are those good things? Well, in a sense, Jesus has been talking about them throughout the sermon. Yes, he said, you do need to stop worrying about your life, but rather depend on God to give you the basics in life, to give you your daily bread. Trust him for those things. Ask for those things. But also, Jesus says right at the beginning of the sermon, blessed are the meek. As we read what Jesus calls us to do, when we read what kinds of people Jesus calls us to be, we realise that actually we've got a long way to go. We're not quite as God wants us to be. And we know that by our own strength and by our own efforts, we can't make ourselves become those kind of people. But Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Come to God as your heavenly Father. Although, he says, what I'm trying to tell you might sound impossible, although what I'm trying to tell you might sound like a standard that's far too high, 
Nothing's impossible for God. Come to him. Ask him for help to become the kind of person he wants you to be. Be the kind of person who truly follows the law. To become the kind of person who's not seeking the praise of humans, but the reward from God. To become the kind of person who's not caught up with human concerns, but is seeking God's kingdom. Pray that you might become that kind of person. And bit by bit, God will give you the good things that you need to do that. What kind of people are we meant to be? We're meant to be people who meekly and humbly come to God and depend on him. Depend on him for the basics of life. Depend on him for forgiveness. Depend on him for eternal life. But also depend on him to help us to become the kinds of people he wants us to be. So that's what kind of people we are in terms of relating to God. And that's fundamental. That's central. But growing out of that, there's the kind of people we become in relating to others. And Jesus sums them up beautifully in verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This um, statement is um, quite a common statement. It's a similar statement. It's very common in all the different cultures and religions around the world. And for Jesus growing up, um, in the Jewish culture, there was a very similar teaching that was around um, by a guy called Hillel. Hillel lived in, mainly in the century before Jesus. He would probably die at a very old age when Jesus was still a teenager. But he's a very well-known teacher of the time. And actually, he's still respected by Jewish people. There's a, um, a memorial of him um, in Jerusalem, a part of a memorial which um, speaks about him. And one very famous story of Hillel is that um, one of his um, students came to him and said, um, Hillel, teach me the whole law while I'm just standing on one leg. In other words, give me the law in a nutshell. And you can see in the picture on the screen that um, there's, the statue shows someone standing on one leg as Hillel teaches them. And how did Hillel sum it up? He said this, do not do to your neighbour what is hateful to you. This is the whole Torah, the whole law. The rest is commentary. And you can see, how, can't you, how that does sum up the whole law. When God says, do not murder. Well, murdering is something that you would want anyone to do to you. When, someone says, do not, when God says, do not steal, well, you don't want people to steal from you. When God says, do not commit adultery, well, you wouldn't want someone to speak with your husband or your wife. When God says, do not lie, we wouldn't want to lie about someone. God said, well, you know you wouldn't want someone to lie about you. And Jesus says something that's very similar to Hillel, and yet it is fundamentally different. Jesus says, do to others what, we'd, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's a positive version of the law. But as a positive version, it's actually more challenging. And actually, this is the way Jesus lives. Because Jesus could have stayed in heaven. He could have watched our world as we carried on sinning, as we carried on going the way of wickedness and evil, as we carried on hurting and destroying each other and ultimately dying. 
He could have carried on watching us do that. And in doing that, he would not be harming us, would he? He would not be doing anything hateful to us. But actually, Jesus comes down from heaven to earth to live among us, to show us the better way, and to die for us on the cross that we can be forgiven for our sins and brought to God. Jesus doesn't just not harm us. Jesus acts positively and powerfully to do for us what we really need people to do for us. Jesus acts like the good Samaritan in the story he tells. That man laying by the roadside, left for dead by robbers. Two people pass by and don't do anything to help him. They're not hurting him, they're not being hateful to him, but they're not doing what's positive for him. But the Samaritan comes along and he rescues the man. He treats him and pays for him to be looked after in an inn. Jesus doesn't leave us in the darkness and destitution and destruction of our world. He comes to rescue us, to give us something better. And as Christians, we're called to follow the example of Jesus. We're called to do to others what we'd have them do to us. And it's a very simple and powerful rule. It's a rule that um, has inspired people down the ages, whether they've been Christians or not. Um, There was a famous emperor, Alexander Severus, who um, lived about 100 years before the first Christian Roman emperor. And yet he heard this teaching of Jesus and he was so impressed with it that he had it written in gold on his room, in, in his main room. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. And isn't that the way that people in our NHS are acting? As they seek to treat those that are struggling with coronavirus or COVID-19 or any other health issues? The whole health service is set up to do to others that we long for people to do to us, that we know that when we're ill, we need someone to help us and to treat us. Our society and many of the structures in our society are inspired by these words. And as Christians, of course, we should be on the forefront of this. So I just want to think very quickly, what does it mean for our present situation? What does it mean to love others as ourselves during a pandemic? Well, for starters, it means actually obeying the rules that the government have put in place. I don't know about you, but I don't want to catch the illness. And so by not going out and meeting lots of people, I'm helping not to spread it. Therefore, I'm doing for others what I'd hope they would do for me. I'm I'm making sure that the virus stops spreading because I don't want to catch it, and I'm sure they don't want to catch it either. That can sound a bit weird, can't it? Not doing something um, is doing something for others. But of course, there are other things we can do. So looking out for your neighbours that are in need, that might might need someone to bring stuff for them if they're they're isolating or they're elderly or they're they're ill themselves. That's important. Um, Helping out with things like the food bank. um, Phoning other people that maybe are feeling lonely or isolated because we know that we, if we were feeling lonely or isolated, we'd want someone to contact us. These, These are positive things that we can do in this particular situation. Um, Or actually, what about just praying for people? 
If you're stuck at home, not able to go out, not able to do your normal activities, prayer is such a core thing for us as Christians, and we can pray for others. Um, Yesterday, I was really encouraged. Someone phoned me up and said, "Um, Paul, I've been struck this week that actually we need to be praying for you as the leader of St. Luke's. And so I've set up a group of people who each are on a rotor so that someone every day is going to be praying um, more significantly for you as the leader of St. Luke's and for your family. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's great. And if you think this sermon's great, then um, that's because they're praying. You think this sermon's rubbish, it's because I've worked hard enough at it or whatever. But we need to be praying. Praying for others. Praying for those that are struggling particularly. That's something we can do. That we want all need. And secondly, as we think about the issue of Black Lives Matter, um, the terrible killing of George Floyd and all the protests that that's brought about and, and the demands for more. Actually, as Christians... It's right that we try and put ourselves in the position as if we are with a minority in a culture. How would that feel? How would we want to be treated in that circumstance? On Thursday, I sent out an email, um, like we normally do the church email, and there was a link at the end to a video. Um, and on the video were a couple of there's some Christian pastors having a discussion, uh, and two of them were from. Um, black backgrounds, I think one was Nigerian, one was Jamaican background families, but they'd grown up in this country. And I was really quite shocked to hear of their experience of how the police in this country had treated them just because they're black. So how they had been um, questioned, stopped, arrested, even people come to their house or or taken their fam- family away to prison, not because, because they thought they were, had done something wrong when there's clearly evidence they hadn't. And they targeted them just because of their colour of their skin. Actually, one of the things maybe we need to be is more aware of what it's like to be in a minority in this country. Um, surely if you were struggling with those sort of things, you'd want others to be aware of it. So let's be aware of how others struggle. Maybe ask people that are in minorities, are, are there issues that they're struggling with because of their minority situation? And it could be to do with race, it could be to do with other issues. How can we as Christians support them? How can we as Christians in our congregation make sure that um, people in our congregations that may feel in a minority group still feel they really belong at some things? I hope they do feel they belong. But maybe we need to check that and ask that question. And if there's things we could do to help them feel they belong even more, maybe we should be working at that. And perhaps that's something we'll never chat about. Maybe discuss it and maybe get in touch with me. Um, and if I, we hear some useful feedback on that, then we, we may well discuss it at the next PCC meeting. Jesus says, whatever you'd have done for yourself, do for others. It's, it's a rule that is relevant in the midst of a pandemic. It's a rule that is relevant as we just. Think about issues like Black Lives Matter. It's a rule that's relevant in day-to-day, everyday life. And it's about the kind of person God wants us to be. So, what kind of person are you? Are you that kind of person that truly knows God's 
that comes to God as your Father in heaven and asks, seeks, knocks, desires to become more the kind of person God wants us to be, but with his help and with his support. And are you the kind of person that seeks to do for others what you'd have them do for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these challenging words. Help us. Help us to keep coming to you for the strength we need to become more the kind of people that you need us to be. That we may truly be those who seek to do to others what we'd have them do for us. In your name we pray. Amen.